Welcome to the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. I'm Dana, founder of Bright Red Marketing, your e-commerce advertising specialists. Today we are here with Shelby from Shelby Sherratt Art. She is a creator of whimsical Australiana art, quirky pottery goodness, and creator of juicy content. In today's episode, she shares her creative process as well as how she grew to over 1 million TikTok followers. So let's get into it. Welcome to episode 19. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yay. I'm, I'm a little bit of a fan. For everyone that's listening, I um, have been lucky enough to get one of Shelby's products. So we shall talk about that shortly. So tell me a little bit about how Shelby Sherrod Art started. Oh, gosh. It's a very long-winded story. I put it to 2016, the year 2016, because that was the year I was diagnosed with cancer, unfortunately, at age 20. So I pretty much had to put everything on hold whilst I did treatment, surgeries, everything. Um, I was on a totally different career path. And because I was in hospitals, in bed all the time, I started navigating back into the art space and using it as sort of like a therapeutic way to get through everything I was going through. And then that's where it sort of formed that I started sort of selling these little bits and pieces that I was making. And then over time, it just sort of flowed and adapted to Shelby Share Art and something that I'm now doing full time. So that's kind of like a really quick snapshot of that journey. But that's pretty much the key point was that time in 2016 when I started it. Amazing. How did it go from like, obviously it was very therapeutic for you and a, a, I suppose a calming, grounding influence. How did it go from like little pieces to what it is now? Like, can you kind of expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So I think it just came from a lot of passion and a lot of interest in it. And I just sort of kept pushing and developing it and just loved doing the craft itself. So I did lots of different types of crafts and then I came to pottery, which I just fell in love with and I couldn't get my hands off the stuff essentially. And it just sort of became something that I was doing as like what I'd call a hobby. So I was just doing it after uni, after work. I'd find any spare moment to do it when I wasn't having all these other, when I didn't have all these other responsibilities. And then I just used sort of like my Instagram and social media presence to sort of push the pieces out there and try to find them new homes. And that's sort of how it really developed. And then as that became a lot more popular online and people would buy my works, I'd make more. And it just kept progressing really naturally, I would say, and became a point where I had to decide whether I wanted to keep sort of hustling really, really hard after work hours and getting these pieces done and pushing myself in every aspect of my life or to leave my job and do the creative stuff full time and just focus on that. And that's where I'm sort of at now is that I'm doing that full time and focusing on that creative aspect of my life and the Shelby Share art side. Amazing. So I just realized for anyone who's listening that actually doesn't know you and hasn't followed you on Instagram yet, which you should all go do, can you describe what it is that you actually make? Because they're amazing yeah. and adorable and I love mine. <laughs> yep. Yeah, of course. So I'm an artist, so I primarily work with pottery, which is pretty much everything I do, actually, not primarily. And it sort of came around this theme of Australiana works. 
And the things that I primarily make is uh, Australian animal pots, so your koalas, echidnas, possums, wombats, holding little bouquets of flowers inspired by native flora that you can see in your own backyard. So that's sort of where I started, but it's now expanded into all sort of forms of pottery and artwork that's sort of based around my style now. Yeah, incredible. As I said, they are amazing. I love mine. (laughs) Very lucky to get one. (laughs) So obviously being a handmade product is very limited edition. I know this firsthand. How do you manage as you've kind of grown and been more successful, you know, more people wanting to buy products than you actually have, you know, these pieces? Yeah, it's such a tricky thing to manage. And it's a really big predicament in handmade, I think, as well, is because you've got this demand and interest for your work, but you just physically can't get it out to everyone that wants it. It's a really nice problem to have. But the way I've sort of done that is sort of practice, I would say, actually, is just like taking my pieces and practicing and practicing, practicing and trying to get the techniques and styles really refined so I can do it really quickly but also still have time to sort of enjoy the creation process, which sometimes can be a bit tricky when you're making lots of works. But I pretty much have sort of almost put in like a routine before when it was sort of a hobby. It was sort of just like I'd go with the flow of the creative process. It was more therapeutic based, just making when I sort of felt like I needed it. Whereas transitioning that to full time, it's now become more of a routine based practice in my studio so it might look like making the pieces one day refining their sculptural form the next day signing all of them and getting them ready to paint painting them for two days and then doing the different kiln cycles on another couple of days so it becomes a little bit more routine based rather than your go with the flow momentum of art practice so that's been something that I'm always struggling with because I've always come from that go with the flow when I do my art but that's sort of how I've sort of adapted to that need to make more product and additionally just sort of uh, changed the way I, I do certain techniques so that I can get more works out there so working smarter not harder and that's where I, my slip casting molds come into play is that I've got these molds that I can so I've got the same shape it's consistent and all the hand painting I can spend as much time on that as I need to to get the pieces where they need to be yeah lovely how do you find people in relation to the fact that you can't always you know they can't always buy a piece when they want to so I think I took me three or four goes to finally get my adorable little koala pot but I was just super excited but I know that not everyone is super happy all the time do you have like people complaining and things and how do you deal with that yeah, it's actually really tricky. I never thought that that would be something I would come across because I initially thought people would be really understanding that I'm only one person making, you know, as many pots as I could possibly make per month, per week. But the way I deal with it is I sort of just try and be really transparent and communicate on my social platforms so that people are aware of how the restocks work. So when I put new work on, how they work, I always remind people that it's just me (laughs) and to be kind. Because, yeah, at the end of the day, like I wish I could make everyone 
something. I wish I could make so many, like it would be good for my pocket as well. (laughs) So I would love to make everyone something, but it's just sort of reminding people that the beauty of the product is the fact that it is so limited and you can only get one of these in the world from one person. So that's sort of what I sort of angle towards. But the one key message I say to people is that if you you missed out this time or you didn't get the pot that you wanted this time, it just means that the right one for you hasn't been made yet because I truly believe each one sort of finds its own little home for the right sort of family. I got that message a couple of times. <laughs> um, but, yes, no, I, I agree with you. My, my little pot is perfect and beautiful. Lovely. So can you share a little bit more about how you manage to stay creative now that is a little bit more routine-based, I suppose? It's really interesting. I got a question the other day. Someone messaged me and they're like, oh, like you must get creative art block all the time. Like you must get it because you put out so much work constantly. And I honestly cannot tell you the last time I had artist block, which is really amazing for me. And I think that comes down to the fact that I've got a really solid product is what I would say is that I've got this product that I'm really proud of and I am really passionate about and I can make hundreds, thousands, millions if I wanted to and I would never get bored of it. And that's what I sort of like associate it with is that that routine, there's still like elements of that therapeutic process throughout it constantly. It never really feels like work to me. And I think that's where it comes down to everything is that it it has never really felt like, like work to me. It's just felt like I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing in life and just creating on something that I am really proud and passionate about. And I think in life that's really hard to come by. So I'm very, very lucky that I've sort of found that little piece for me in the creative world of what I'm happy creating again and again. Yeah, amazing. So obviously I've been following you for a very, very long time. And I remember in your Instagram post, you used to say that the pots were quite tricky to photograph. Have you got any tips on taking really good photos of your products for those who might be, you know, struggling with taking photos? Yeah, I really struggled initially because I always went with the sort of typical guides that, you know, like you type in on Google, how do I do do good product photography? How do I make it look good? And all of them would be like really bright lighting, white background, and all these examples that didn't really relate to what my product was. So when I started taking photos, I was sort of for a while testing that sort of white background thing and then sort of adding a little bit of my own style. But when it came down to it, I found that the best photos for my work were the ones that I asked myself the question, well, what is my product? What is it about? Why would people buy this product? So I wrote all that down. And then I said, well, what is it inspired by? What are the colors and how do I want to represent it on Instagram? There's so many people doing the white background thing. There's so many people doing different things that you don't have to follow a rule guide of how to take product photos. Just as long as you're showing what the product is, why someone might want it, what purpose it fulfills, then you're doing your product photography right so I completely challenged the status quo of a plain white background and went for completely colorful backgrounds with big textures like autumn leaves backdrops of just pure flower um, bushes and photographing the pieces in front of those because 
the pieces were for um, their little pots. So they are for getting your little pieces of nature and propping them in there. So that's where I sort of just, I guess, carded that, <laughs> that advice to do the plain light background and just did my own style and my own thing and presented it in my own way. So my advice for people would essentially be just to figure out what your product is and who you're sort of, I guess, what sort of need it fulfills and then take photographs in your own way. You're always going to not like your first product photos because you're still learning and you're still developing your style, but still put it out there because I guarantee it's just you sort of finicking over the small details and you'll slowly develop your style over time. That is amazing advice. I don't think I want to see another white background photo unless it's like <laughs> e-commerce on a website for something that's a little complex. Like yeah. the way you take your photos now is just stunning and it suits your product so well. But if someone else tried to copy that, that was a slightly different product, different brand, it probably wouldn't work as well because it's, it's so on brand for you. It's amazing. Yeah, well, it totally is. But there's definitely things you can adapt from my sort of style of photographing that you can definitely do with any other product 100 percent. i just think it's more that like it's got to be in line with your brand like just doing what you do because it's what you do doesn't work but if it's on brands then that sort of kind of floral textured background could work really well yeah exactly i would strongly advise looking in your local area because there's so many little things of beauty that you can sort of add to sort of add that depth and texture to your photos as well. Some stuff that's probably in your own backyard that you didn't even realise. So, yeah, just keep your eyes peeled to add to your photos. I love that. I love that. Now, I have seen you grow crazily on TikTok over the last months. How long has it been since you joined TikTok? Oh, gosh. I don't even think it's been a proper year. Yes. And you have over a million followers. Like that's insane. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Tell us a little bit about like what you were thinking when you first started TikTok and like what's happened since then. All right. So, you know what? It probably has been a year because this is what I thought when I first got TikTok. I I think I downloaded it at the end of 2019 and I went on the app and there was just like a lot of like dancing videos and people singing to, you know, popular songs. And I was just like, this is not for me. This isn't right. I don't think I can do like post on here. This doesn't feel like my sort of vibe and what I can put time towards. And that was another thing. I was just like, I don't know whether I want to put time into this when I haven't even really seen anyone doing what I'm doing on here. So I deleted that up and I didn't look back for a while. And then I think it wasn't until maybe March when the first sort of COVID lockdown in Victoria and I saw another friend posting on TikTok and I think she amounted to half a million followers in under sort of six months and all her videos were going really well and her business was booming because of all this increased flow of customers that were seeing her videos prop up and wanting her product based on her videos and the way she presented it. So I was like, you know what, I've, now that I've seen someone else actually doing what I'm doing, I maybe I should get it and just do videos that I want to see on the app and start from there. And I think my first sort of video that's on my page at the moment, I think was about June maybe. So it's almost a year, last year. And since then, I have I sort of posted a few videos and they kind of did all right. Like I got 
maybe in the hundreds of views and I was like, oh, this is all right. It's not so bad. I'll, I'll just film it and little bits and bobs. And then my first video went viral. Like I was so shocked. I had like when things go viral on TikTok, it is absolutely wild and so full on. So you have people constantly following you in your notifications. You have people commenting on your video, people commenting where they can buy your work. I noticed because I do small batches and I don't readily have pieces available on my website, I noticed a massive spike on my analytics on my website of people visiting my website wanting to check out and like a massive spike. It was huge. I think I had like 10,000 visitors just from one video and this was super early days so after that one went viral I was like oh I see what it's all about I get it now (laughs) so once I sort of figured out what it was that made that video go viral and the elements that I put in that and then I watched a lot of other TikToks so I started looking into small business TikTok Australian artists, TikTok, all of these sort of hashtags I searched and sort of watched their videos to see which ones were doing well. And I sort of just adapted what they were doing into my own videos. And then the rest has sort of been history. It's just been putting out these videos. And then the mold series eventuated from that as well, which is a total different, almost like a different path for me in the TikTok journey as well. Yeah, amazing. So you said you went and, you know, did lots of research and to see what was happening. Are you able to share any of the things that you saw that were making a difference in the yeah, yeah. videos? So I noticed that it's all about sort of using a trending song sometimes just to get that first sort of algorithm momentum. So um, trending songs are sort of the ones they sometimes show them in your song page I don't know what they call it on the app but the song page they've got a lot of trending songs there that you can pick from but generally the trending songs I find are the ones that keep coming up on your main page so what I do is I just save those for a later date if they suit my branding and then I'll use them on my videos whether that's as the main feature of the video sound or whether I do a voiceover and just put it on as the background sound I found that that really works So, yeah, using the trending sounds is one. Another one is to use some relevant hashtags. So don't fill the post with hashtags, but use a few relevant ones, which is pretty similar to how you'd go about Instagram. So I think you can use about, using about three or four works really well. Another thing is, the biggest thing I find with my videos is taking the viewer on an elevator pitch journey. So you've got, On the app, you can film from zero to 60 seconds of video content, which is a lot, but it's also not a lot. So big tip I saw was actually taking people on the journey with you. So having a start, middle and end or having some sort of tip or skill or advice or and making sure that you're filming as if the viewer is doing it themselves is a big thing that I noticed because people want to see what you're doing and they want to watch it and they want to sort of gain something from watching your content. So that's sort of my main advice and just sort of adapting it to what your branding is and what your style is works really well because people want to see authentic, different, unique, but also want to come with you for the journey of whatever you're making, doing, um, creating. That is amazing advice. Thank you very much. Um, Any last tips for artists wanting to grow their business before we kind of wrap it up? 
Oh gosh, <laughs> that's a big one. <laughs> I think the most important thing I found with my business was to, in a way, to listen but not listen. <laughs> so, my advice is to listen to people that have gone before you and see what they're doing that's working really well. But then don't listen to them at the same time and do your own style, your own taste, your own flavor on that. Because people are always creating new things, new trends, but they're always sort of adapting on things that have come before them. So I, yeah, my advice is to to listen and learn, but also to take your own style and adapt what you've learned in your own way. I think listen, but don't listen is just good life advice. Yes. it's almost like I I swear there's a better way to phrase that it's like I like listen but don't listen I think it's so succinct (laughs) such a contradiction isn't it (laughs) but it's you're spot on like listen to the people that have gone before you that have done it before that have good advice but don't listen completely like do your own thing and probably don't listen to the negative stuff either because that's not helpful yeah exactly yeah um do you get many negative comments on tiktok i find that sometimes tiktok can be a bit nasty sometimes maybe you're in the wrong part of tiktok Um, (laughs) uh, yeah look tiktok because the the app is moving so fast people drop comments on things because they don't understand or they've made assumptions or they just feel like sharing a little bit of not good energy with some other people because yeah that's what people do sometimes. The way I treat my TikTok, for a while I actually had a few videos come up and they were like, you should keep the negative comments on your posts because it helps with your engagement. And I'm just going to card that comment in the bin and I think you should too. That's a don't <laughs> listen my- comment. <laughs> yeah, that's a don't listen comment for me. But I think there was this really nice metaphor and I cannot remember who shared it with me or who said it, but treat your social media account like it's your house and people when they see your videos they've been invited into your house and you wouldn't be mean to someone when you go to their house you wouldn't be rude and tell them that to their face so you can gently uninvite them by removing their comment or even better blocking them so that's how I sort of live by my TikTok because I did notice that if you do have one negative comment it sort of props up you'll end up getting more people because people go, oh, someone else got away with saying that. So I'm going to say that now. So I am a strong advocate for deleting mean comments and making your space the space you want it to be. And yeah, just making the energy you want on your social media, because I think in the long run, my account has become a lot more of a safe space for people as well. And I think like your following will start to notice that what your values are if you are deleting sort of the the mean comments, I guess. Yeah, that's what I would say to do. (laughs) You've got some mean people on TikTok and just to ignore them because most of the time they're 12-year-olds that um, don't know any better. Yeah. (laughs) No, I love that. (laughs) And I have heard that metaphor before and I think it's a brilliant one. Yeah, I think so too. I I only heard it a few months ago and I was just like, that is a perfect way to explain it. And it gives me full confidence now to delete things because for a while I was really nervous to delete things. But now I'm just like, no, this is my space and I'm going to run it the way I want to run it. So 100%. No, I think that's brilliant. We're just going to wrap up unless there's anything else that you want to share. 
yeah, I think I'm you're all I'm good. You shared lots yeah. of wisdom, so I'm very, very grateful. Um, so we have a couple of questions we ask everyone. Do you have any strategies, routines, or habits that you follow each day to help you stay on track? My routine game is really bad, but one thing I do is make a cup of coffee. So that is one thing that once I've done that, I start to sort of get in the momentum of things. I also do write a list at the end of each day of what I want to do the next day. So I'm not thinking about it at night time in bed. I found that really helps. Lovely. Uh, Do you have a favorite business book? Ooh, I'm not a big book reader, actually. I, yeah, I barely read books. I do like groups on Facebook though, and I'll regularly sort of stalk those groups for people asking questions that I'm somewhat interested in to learn from lots of different perspectives on those groups. Are there any groups in particular that you'd recommend? I've always liked like-minded bees drinking wine. (laughs) Sorry, I, I, that that I don't have to put a, a, a language warning on this episode. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I had to pause because I was like, oh, so that one's really, I found that one really good just because you can sort of search anything in that group and there'll be someone asking it. I've joined Lady Startups, which has been pretty good. And just like a few other sort of small businessy ones that you sort of find over time, like Etsy Small Business. I'm not with Etsy anymore, but I've joined that when I was on Etsy. And that one's always really interesting to see how different people have dealt with like either like a complaint or a product not arriving to where it needs to arrive to. It's just always interesting to see what other people have done in those circumstances and to get some tips and tricks for yourself if you ever come up against that sort of issue. So, yeah, that's what I the few groups Brilliant. that I like. Do you have a favourite podcast? I don't really listen to podcasts. <laughs> That's okay. We'll just say mine. Moving on. <laughs> um, I should have said that, hey. <laughs> Yours, of course. It's fine. <laughs> um, I've only started, I mean, I've had a podcast over the years, so like I think two years this is reiteration of, but I've only just started really listening to podcasts properly in the last couple of months, so it's Yeah. <laughs> I've always it's almost like books as well for me. I've like been like, oh, I need to start getting into podcasts. And there's a few that I've wanted to listen to. I can't remember what names they are, but they come up on things all the time. There's been a few where I've gone, oh, I need to sit down and listen to that. But I just never get around to it. And if, if I'm in the studio, I'm usually listening to music or I've got Netflix on in the background. So there's, Love it. there's only two <laughs> sort of no that's fine and if people want to visit you and get themselves prepared for a a product drop what's the best place for people to visit you what places oh yeah I've got a number of places but I would say my best is Instagram and sort of Facebook I say sort of and I'll explain why (laughs) Instagram is where I sort of post when all the restocks are happening what's going to be in the restocks all the updates for when I'm going to have new work workshops all of that I obviously put them on the website but you sort of have to be following the social media to know when they're going on the website and I say Facebook kind of because I automatically share everything from Instagram onto my Facebook for people that don't have Instagram so yeah that's how you can find me but it shall be share it up lovely and I love when you do the restock announcements that you can do that notification thing yes and then it can like notify you that's super handy 
has been a game changer and I think it's been a game changer for me buying things as well. Like this morning <laughs> I bought one of these potters that I've admired for a long time and they have the countdown on them. They, they're overseas so the time difference always is hard to calculate and I just happened to come on when there was 10 minutes to the restock and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm actually here for one. <laughs> so I love the, the countdowns. They're awesome. So yeah. another business tip to get those. Get use the countdowns. Well. Use them because I think that's how I ended up with yeah. my pot because I think the first time I put yeah. a calendar in my diary but there was like the time difference because I'm in Queensland and I yeah. was like an hour late or something and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and then the next yeah. time I think there was that and it was so handy. I think the first time I still yeah. missed out but. It's so tricky with the time conversion. I always find it hard and I get a lot of people actually asking me to convert their own time. And I'm like, I don't actually know it's where you my job. those. <laughs> I can't really calculate you, that. You know where I am. I have an hour yeah. time. You do the math. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, it's been so lovely speaking with you. Thank you so much for sharing so many little nuggets of wisdom. I really appreciate it. Oh, you are most welcome. Thank you for having me. Hopefully it was helpful for some listening ears. Very helpful. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the 19th episode of the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. Don't forget, we load all of the links and show notes onto our website. You can find everything at www.brightredmarketing.com.au forward slash show notes forward slash episode 19. The link will also be in the episode description. Thanks so much for listening.